Hey everybody, this is Petey from Spinner Rack, and today I'm doing a video of the Roy Thomas and Neil Adams's X-Men run. One of the most influential X-Men runs that influenced Claremont and Byrne, that influenced everything that came after them, and influenced the cartoon. Right? You may not see it, but those seeds from this run bled into the the Dave Cockrum's run with Chris Claremont and Ling Wen that led into definitely Burns' run. Even before that, they were doing um, living monolith stories in Marvel Team-Up. Um, there's a lot of stuff that came out, a lot of artists that um, came from looking at this and trying to do this, and of course, John Byrne doing the hidden years. So that sort of influence and what kind of kept the X-Men alive of fans that loved this run of the series. But, I mean, the X-Men always had a cult following. It wasn't just this run. I think Chris Claremont was more just a fan of this stuff here. But, um, Byrne, of course, was a fan. Read the book in early ones. He read these ones. Now, this run, actually, um, Kirby's, those first some odd issues, you know, factor into... Neil Adams' run. Now, Kirby did some great group stuff here. And um, Neil Adams kind of builds on it, right? So, ultimately, at this point now, um, Roy Thomas and and Neil Adams, they don't, it's not, they have, a diff they have more of a difference of opinion of how things got done, which happens with a lot of creators and also definitely happens a lot with the Marvel method, right? So, to give you a little bit of backstory before Neil got there, um, Roy Thomas was asked by Stan. Now, this is from Alter Ego, Volume 2, um, Issue, Volume 2, Issue 4, where Roy talks about doing this because he felt, you know, he felt he needed to say, you know, his side of the story, you know, because Neil was saying his, so he was going to do that. It was going to appear in this issue, but um, Neil kind of felt it wouldn't work with the stuff he was saying because they were, they just differed so much, right? So we had to give the precursor to it that um, we had this story that was originally wrote by Arnold Drake. This is where the run kind of starts, similar to how the what's that run the um, the um, the Cree Skull War started before Neil Adams. Arnold Drake does the st first story of, um, you know, the story of, of the Pharaoh, and we see the secret of Cyclops' brother, right? So this will lead to the next story, which is, oh, that's the backup stories. Roy Thomas comes back and does the next story, right? And he picks up the threads from that story, and at the end, we find out that Alex is a mutant. So this was already established before Neil got there, right? So, Neil's side of the story was that he came to Marvel, and he'd gotten an idea of how Marvel worked, right? The idea of the Marvel method from, um, from um, Jim Steranko. And Jerome Serenko has started from working on plots, but then he soon started plotting himself. So 
And they went over to Stan. Stan said, he said, what book would you like to do for us? And with no precursor of what was available or who was on it, um, Neil decided to say, what was your lowest selling title? And um, Stan Lee said, the X-Men. So that was a title that Neil wanted to do. Now, Neil says in this book that he didn't know Roy Thomas before this. Roy Thomas says in the Alter Ego issue that they had met before this. And then when Neil came on to do the X-Men, um, Roy said he was ready to bow out since um, Neil had written his own comic books, Dead Man, which they read. So, but um, Neil said no, that they would work together. Now, um, Neil these days say that he plotted the stories and Roy did the dialogue. Roy says at this point, those books would this book would be considered co-plotted by Neil and Roy and and Roy and Neil, right? So they have different views on it, and ultimately, also Chris Claremont has come and taken credit for the ending of the Sentinel story. So we have a lot of different things going on here, and Marvel at one point credited it as Neil Adams with Roy Thomas doing dialogue, and then. They added Chris Claremont in there for plot assist. So it was just like they were taking they were taking Roy and they were kind of putting him aside, right? So this is your precursor. Just gonna give you a quick look through this book here. Comic artist number three. It talks about the bad, the bad um reprint. There's another reprint I have somewhere of this run that has this cover. Now this cover is a little wacky, but it's you know, it's a, it's a cool drawing. It's like fun stuff. It's not the run you see here, but it is a, you know, it is a nice cover, right? So let me give you, this is talking about his whole Marvel years. It's a companion to the DC years that was in the, I think the comic book marketplace. The interview is done by Arlen Schumer. They talk about the old, the original cover and the replacement for that. <clears throat> How Neil would redo this page. Some of the rough pencils. <clears throat> um, the original design for um, Angel. That rough sketch. The pencils. And inks by Tom Palmer. <clears throat> Tom Palmer talking about inking Neil Adams. And issue, I think, because um, 65, where they changed one of Neil's drawings that was uh, like a, a four legged animal to a humanoid alien. <clears throat> um, the four-legged monster, sorry. And then it goes into the other stuff he did for Marvel. We might do that, I'm not sure. Right, I didn't precursor this, that my brother had this book. This is his. I still still kept it. It's the British annual that um, only has the Sentinel story in it. But it's a gorgeous volume, right? So let's get into it. Seven minutes. Right, so now they got it. Roy Thomas with Denny O'Neill. Denny O'Neill does the last story in this. 
Neil Adams as Penciler, and um, Tom Palmer as the Inker. Right? So here we have it as Roy, you know, Roy Thomas and Neil Adams. And as I said, Roy said they would probably be considered co-plotting, right? Uh, Roy says in his, or his um, article on this that Neil had a photograph that he was drawing, you know, drawing from. But at the same time, he was adding a lot of freehand um, um, detail of his own, right? So, this would be the second cover to it, right? And we have, they got the Farrell, they got Alex Summers. So, um, Neil Adams says that he came up with the idea that, um, that Alex was a mutant. But it's already set up that um, he has that power, right? It's already been set up, so it's not something that's a surprise, right? But the drama happens pretty quick, right? And I believe this, um, did they say the colors are still by, um, it's not saying, I know that, um, Ray Thomas did the original colors. He might be still using those for these, for this issue, right? So we have all the X-Men here, and we have Alex over here, right? We got Pharaoh, living Pharaoh, in the rest, but he's not going to be in rest for long because his troops are coming out, right? So um, Neil was the one who, I guess they talked it over, but Neil said he's the one who moved it to Egypt. Um, Roy said they met up in the coffee shop and they talked over the story. Now, Roy says the reason why you'd, he had to know what the plot was is because he was also would be the de facto editor or anything that he did, so that it wouldn't go out without what Stan, what Stan would like, right? Because at times Stan, he said Stan was kind of iffy on some of the layouts, but. Um, you can see when, uh, he said, when you can see when um, Stan worked with Neil, Neil kept the layouts pretty, you know, pretty straightforward, right? Let's see, they, they finally get, they lay out the X-Men, and then um, <laughs> they capture Alex, then Angel's gonna get them there, and this other thing, he goes out, and just the drama is heavy, right? So we quickly get Alex out of here. And then we have this, I don't think Gene had been any more outside of, I think, issue two. I think issue two has Gene, one of her best Gene moments, and is in issue two where, let's see, do I have that here? I do, when she lists all the girls. Like she does that, that's one of the most dynamic things I've seen. One of my favorite panels, too. And this... Boom! <laughs> and this cool right here. And, um... And Iceman has, like, a couple girls he's talking to, and then he's here. What a gal. There's nobody like her. Right? Even Angel. Good old genie. I knew she'd locate me. Now, she has telepathic power, but she doesn't use it that much to control people. She can read minds, but it's not really something where she can stop people the way um, Professor X would, right? So they get Alex in this um, 
contraption, lockdown, talking about the cosmic powers. And this is going to lead to a great effect and great storytelling. Of it drops down, something happens to the living pharaoh, he becomes the living monolith, right? And, and it's cool where he said, get back. And then you see the pharaoh come and catch an angel, right? And, um, and the dynamics that Neil's doing here is really cool. Right, going from Neil, him getting captured and it leads to Angel being freed, but then you know, like that, knocking feet down, right to Gene, and then we have Alex while at the same time, and he's worried about breathing, and then he's like, he's starting to feel away again. So you already had the power. Something happened, right? It's taking the victory away from the living Pharaoh, and it was actually Alex, but now he can't control the power. So, where Cyclops, he couldn't control his eyes. Havoc is more outward power coming coming from the entire from coming from his from his body, and it's just totally uncontrollable. Now, people comment that oh, Neil didn't put anything to these covers. This cover here is killer. <laughs> so. I don't know about that. So we have um, Polaris here. She's, you know, her powers are kind of fading on her. And it leads to something we should see all the time. Sentinels come and scoop her up, right? Then Havoc is like, stay away. It's too destructive, right? At the same time, we have the living pharaoh. He's now as a regular person. He's got the authorities, or as the beast said, the gendarmes come in and they're saying, blaming everything on Alex. And Alex uses his power and, you know, just reacts and he can't even help it, right? An angel, this is the other thing people forget. He can knock people down with this, these wings, right? And the X-Men stop them from capturing them. And then <laughs> Alex gets away. And then this, I think people wanted to call Neil the task for having Scott say you camel jockeys. But look at the visor. Killer. This, I think, the first person to kind of work the visor that way. Where it wasn't just kind of, you know, against, you know, like curved. It actually, you know, sort of sticks out, right? And um, we got the like so old school type coloring here. Which they would do more of this, right? Like here, going for mood because you've already established who where everyone is. That's really cool, right? And then he goes, but something can stop Alex the Sentinels, right? So right now they're going to check on on Lorna, and they find out she's. <laughs> yeah, her her place is ransacked, All right? And Iceman, he's you know he's you know Iceman, but he's the hothead of the group, right? So this is where the X Men decide. All right, we're gonna have to split up and handle things. And at the same time, we have this other person who's um, who will find out who he is later, right? But he of course has a power over this scene, right? And then we have, they get to Lorna's apartment, but who comes in here? The police, 
right? And this is another part where we um where we had the X-Men and we had the mutant hysteria where the cops come in and they are like they're trying to arrest both of them, right? And then the first I think one of the first times Muty was used and Chris Claremont would use this over and over again, right? We have this classic page which people will point out, oh, this, that, and the other. You have, you're starting here and you're going up here. Who the hell cares? <laughs> this is this is what you're going for. So you can, as a kid, I figured it out. So anyway, so Iceman saves him after the cops almost killed the beast. And remember that, the cops almost killed the beast, right? So the X-Men get out. And then they go to Cyclops' apartment, right? And then they realize, why are, the, why are they, you know, why is everything going wrong? Now, here's a key thing that's missing in a lot of X-Men today. Of having some ordinary people in these. People that are on the, effects, uh, on the fence about mutant kind, right? So we have this, um, I think it's Judge Chalmers. He is has some questions about about mutant activities, right? And we meet Larry Trask. He said, uh-oh. It's <laughs> like the son of Oliver Trask. And it's like, the Beast is already knows that. He's already informed. And they talk about, you know, that, you know, them talking, him talking to his father. Um, one, of the, one of the hooks of Oliver Trask, he's like, his name, you can reformat the last name and that could be Stark. And Bolivar, even though you can't make that into Anthony, that name is the same, I think the same number of letters as Anthony. So like Anthony Stark, Bolivar, like so, so. I don't think Marvel, I don't think Stan was going for it, but he might've had the idea, maybe Iron Man should do this. <laughs> Cause he made all the tech in Marvel, but that's only, there's just some, um, there's um, a, uh, the hypothesis that might probably not true. And then you see, Dolotras was slain, so he put the blame on the X-Men. But at least in this story, he didn't know what happened. He thought it was the X-Men that caused this. But the X-Men actually were... Um... And then while they're watching TV, the Sentinel's been coming around all the time, right? Now, good thing we got to hear, right? This is another great cover, Ruined by Marvel Color. So... And every time people talk about it, they never show you what it should have looked like. So this is going to be a different video because I finally bought something that had the real cover. Right? And... Um, come on. Here we go. Told you I was going to get it for you. Here's the real cover. Right? So we have Havoc in black. And then we have the originals there. And I think I did try to do a mock-up of my own. But um, this is, when I saw this, and I opened it up just for this page, and I had to buy it, right? That's the essentials, right? So we have, and this is one of the things that I think post people doing stories with the Sentinels, even Neil Adams, they kind of make them lame. And these ones are not lame. So in this story, at the same time the TV stuff is going on, the di the dialogue here is 
also saying what how the the X-Men are being, you know, stopped, right? So you can't really get any more dynamic than something like this, right? So the beast is almost captured. Iceman draws his attention away, right? And this that shot, I think I showed you that shot earlier in the book. But um, I think I also have it. Also have the pencils of that here. So you have it in color, in black and white, right? And this is the Neil Adams sketchbook here, right? Maybe I'll do a video on that. All right, so Iceman, the youngest, makes a way for the beast to get out. A really dynamic panel here. And then Beast as the eldest is not happy that Iceman made the sacrifice. Right? Angel is really high strung at this point and and Cyclops is getting trying to get him to calm down. But Beast at the same time is like, hey, I'm gonna handle things on my own. And they're like, and so Angel and Beast are off on his own, but Angel kind of did his in more of a dramatic fashion. Remembering that he was called the Avenging Angel, they just said it in the backup stories of the X-Men. So that the conference between Chalmers and Larry Trask, here's the part. This is what you gotta have. You're having a human that's on the fence. You can't, you have to have some sort of human characters in these X-Men stories that aren't all against mutants. So even though Chalmers was a friend of the Bolivar Trash, even though his, but he's having second thoughts, right? So, nope, he's like trying to deal with this mutant thing, right? So he captures him, get Iceman. Iceman is like, Iceman is, is like, um, is um can't can't even ice up and then now the x-men shall pay for the death right so iceman gets dumped in and he runs into alex with a new outfit that controls his power and then he finds lorna right and he's like what has that madman done to you and the next thing you know he finds out that he made a deal with um Larry with Larry Trask. And he said, Oh no, you're a cow. See, uh, he's a hothead. Look at the color and the mood color in here. And then Lorna is like, no. And then next thing you know, he's going at it. And then next thing you know, the Sentinels grab Lorna. And then of course that pushes Alex over the and he uses utilizes his power with the cool effect. But he has a way to stop it. He's like, uh oh, since you stopped me. That means the living monolith. And so Abdul, he's sitting up there because he nobody knows he's a villain, but he feels the power coming on. He's all happy. But the Sentinels pop out of nowhere, right? And he's growing tall, but the Sentinels somehow are right there for it. And they drop him, which is adhesive to keep the cosmic rage from him. And he falls down helpless. And that's one of the things... When people do the mutant stories, they kind of don't say that they, except for Mark Wade, that the the uh, Sentinels are made to counteract all mutant powers. And I think he had fighting Joseph, who was a Magneto, and negated Magneto's powers, right? So the capture angels on this um, transatlantic flight, and um, 
Okay, see, Jean and their plane, the mutants notice that, but Angel somehow fidgets to keep them away. And then they're about to catch Magneto and Mesmero. And look at this face here. Keep that in mind. Look at the face that, that um, that, um, well, even though this is a robot, so I'm going to spoil it here. So I can't, I wanted to make this point. This is the face that Magneto used to have, right? It looks like maybe a sort of broken nose or some sort of nose like um, like Ben Grimm, right? And we find out Magneto was a robot, right? So he never really, he was the real, he wasn't the guy who claimed to be Lorna's father, right? And Judge Chalmers is here. He's not too happy with what's going on here. See, it was inhumane treatment. Yeah, Judge Chalmers, right? But then they see the X-Men coming. And they're they're watching them actually at the same time. Then he has that decree to wear the to never remove this um medallion. Right? Then Banshee comes in there, and then of course the Sentinels take him out with no problem. So see he keeps looking at the mood coloring, right? And he puts in the last decree to destroy all mutants. And Judge Chalmers is like, no. He said, you're a, a mutant lover or a mutant. And then, of course, every Neil Adams character has a little fight in him. And Judge Chalmers is no different. And knocks him back. And he says, oh, I went too far with that order. So he left that order to destroy all mutants, right? Because Larry, Travis is at, Larry Trask is actually a mutant, right? And then we have, what's this? Do or die, baby. All right, some nice moods coloring here. Next one kind of get, get stopped. And they fall in. They let Beast seemingly fall to his death. And since he's always bouncing all the time, she is able to do a field that kind of helps him from, from dying. So the X-Men are on their way, right? So now he doesn't know that he's a mutant. And then um, Judge Chalmers explains, says when he predicted his mother's death, and that's why his father gave him this um, medallion that would negate his power. So he wouldn't know. And this plays into the actual mutant, right? That his father is working on all this, all this stuff, a part of the atomic age. Who knows what his father's next to? That led to, to Larry being a mutant, right? And he said he's following his last order to destroy all of them. Right? Knocks him out, put him in the thing. So then they take making short work of of the evil mutants, the Brotherhood, even the beat, even the Blob. But then at the same time, they detect the mutant on the south face, right, on the other cliff. And they're on the north side. So there's a bit that never was revealed was who's on the south face, right? So they uh, they took the three of them to take out this this sentinel, right? Now, and when Dave Crockham did it, he could every X-Men could take out one of them on their own. 
So when the Sentinels come in, they have the, um, they talk about the alarm on the south face, and they say they don't know anything about that, right? So basically, they switch, <laughs> they switch with them, they all do that. So this is one thing that they able to trick the Sentinels. So Sentinels don't know who they're dealing with. So a lot of times, they're not tracking, they can detect them when they're close by, but they're, they, most of the time, there's things that's going on visuals that they can detect. They're actually having mutant power. They can't use that as a hunting sort of tool. But they, um, they sometimes, I guess it seems they can. It just depends on what the story is, right? So they're running around. This cool having this costume change. And then we have Larry Trash actually imagining the death of, of Havoc. So he tells them... Tells Charmers what to do. And they're constantly doing whatever they can to take out these. This was always odd, having this wrench next to the head. So it kind of looked like he's using, even though he's up here, it's a little too close. Right? A little too cluttered here. But then this, another gene, a killer gene shot. as the um, And then the brain thing up here. So all the X-Men are just doing as much as they can. To let Cyclops get to the the last moment, right? Some more mood color in here. They shoot Alex, and they've awakened. They've awakened um, the havoc, and then instead of taking out Cyclops, they hit Judge Chalmers, and a, a human has been harmed by a Sentinel. And that gives him pause, and then he can free Cyclops can free his brother, right? And then they're going to take Cyclops out, and he cries havoc. And then, <laughs> and then Judge Chalmers says, defeat them, defeat them through logic. So, see, I'm, oh man, this is going too long, but sorry. <clears throat> the X-Men have actually, you know, Judge Chalmers, the human, is actually giving them the key to, you know, to defeating them. I kind of deal with them through logic, right? So, since... The source of mutation possibly comes from the sun itself. And then um, Havoc's power is going out of control. And then, uh, of course, Cyclops is going after him. But they've decided they're going to seek out the source of the mutation in the raging sun. Right? And that's how Cyclops is going single-handedly dispersed with the Sentinel. Right, and Alex didn't die, but he was covered in rubble from what he destroyed. But then we lead into our next story, a man called Lycos. Right, who was a colleague of Professor Xavier. Right, and sixty. I got a lot of issues to go, and I'm only thirty minutes in. Um, so this, they said they wanted to do a vampire. They both said that, but um. Roy says he wishes they did Man Bat. If Neil kind of did his Man Bat design, it would be a Marvel character, even if they called it Sauron. But they wanted to go for a vampire. So since you couldn't do vampires, that's why it became a pterodactyl, also pterodactyl-like, and at the same time, it couldn't bite. So it's, a, you, know, you know, pulling off of mental energies. So, 
Uh, Judge Chalmers is going to help out the X-Men a little. Can't depart with them. He's going to undo the damage they wrought, right? And he was a part of it. So he's actually changed his mind. So this is really solid. That was a really solid story. And then the X-Men steal one of the Sentinel ships. And this one becomes their new ship, right? So they're going to go to um, his uh, Xavier's um, old, an old, um, to help out um, Havoc, they got to go to a former colleague of Professor Xavier's and because Alex is out of it and then Lorna decides she's going to stay with the X-Men, right? So, Lycos is here and he helps out this guy, but he looks kind of worse for wear, right? And um, Lycos is here, but he says, I need privacy to do what I'm doing, right? So, here we have, and this is the other thing that Neil didn't push forward either. Cyclops and Jean are kind of going out, but they we don't see them actually be physical besides hold hand or dance. They kind of try to remember that Cyclops has these eye beams. So he's not really that physical person because he has these eye beams. The glasses get knocked off. They get knocked off all the time in the curvy run, right? So it's something really dangerous. It's all, uh, not, he's not really played like it in this run, but it was almost done in the Werner Ross issues like a handicap. So when he's dancing with Gene, you see his head turned. There's a lot of cool stuff in here. It's not really played up here, but he still keeps the dynamic that they're not really crazy physical because he has these glasses and it's not in his personality, right? So we have a danger room scene and here where, where Lorna says that she's nobody's man, nobody's girl and <laughs> we know Iceman's a hothead. He's doing all this stuff because she's around and um, Gene gets involved in this and then all of the the evil mutants get freed by Judge Chalmers, right? And then we get the history of of um what's in the Carl Lycos, right? And he gets lets the he lets his um, nurse go away. And we have this thing. He's on the run, and he's he's going through this looking for. Tanya, which was his um, childhood girlfriend, he finds her, but these, um, these are they pterodactyls? Peridon, Peridon, Peridons, right? So they're going crazy, trying to get her, and he fights back, and then at the same time, Carl is hurt, and she gets out, and then when he finally wakes up, his dog comes over to him, but... At the same time, he's able to drag this mental energy from the dog. And he does it to people from time to time. And then, of course, he falls in love with Tanya with the girl he saved. And, um, and then taking from Alex's power, that leads him to actually turn into sort of a, um, a dinosaur paranodon. Right? So, they talk again about another 
creature with wings. So Angel's not having it. He's pretty high strung. And he runs out, right? He just, uh, it's more dynamic just having him kind of not be, I mean, he's not terrible to his friends, but he's just kind of high strung, right? Not in the same way Iceman is, right? So they run into Saron, and um, he's able to have some effect on Angel's eyes, right? Wow, okay, here we go. Do I have any other bits? I don't know, I always like this cover, right? And um, he catches, and when he uses a stare, he's able to make you see all these terrible things, fearful things, but Angel's able to fight against it. And then this is because the, the next shot would be messed up, so they always have to put something here so the next shot wouldn't be messed up, right? Because Angel fights against all that stuff. And then we get a recap of Sauron's history. I think Byrne kind of tried to do something similar to that in the Hidden Years. And then while they're fighting, Cyclops comes in. Jean tries to catch him, but at the same time, um, she gets caught in his glare. And then she sees them as monsters. Angel comes in there. He catches them quickly. But then Beast comes in and helps, right? Then Iceman, who has more effect on him, he get he's about to get out of here. Sauron's about to get out of here because he's changing back, right? So he catches Angel. He um, controls him with his eyesight. Then Angel has to take him back. And then... Comes back in there and he sees Tanya. He's taken with her. The X-Men go back to see um, see um, Carl. And Carl has now fixed fixed um, Alex, right? So you only see a little bit of wear in his eyes. It feels a lot better. While he's under, under hypnosis, quote-unquote. And then Tanya's father comes, and then they come in and they get into this big argument. And Carl shows that he's a little too, he's a, like a raving madman, because I was going to say high strung again, right? And they just kind of see that um, Carl's a little, you know, he's a bitter man, tormented man, right? But Angel is sitting around. And he's just been sitting there kind of kind of in a daze. And then um, Beast knocks him out. Instead of this said that she was trying to talk to him as he was trying to get away. But then at the same time, we see Lorna kind of getting a crush on um, on Alex. But Saron has now figured uh, or that a Carl actually, Carl's actually figured that he gets more power from these mutants and that turns him into Sauron, right? And then he comes and actually Sauron has the voice of um, Carl Lycos, but he's a monster, but the X-Men didn't follow him. They figured it all out. They go after him. And this is kind of, this jump in this storyline 
Because where is he flying? He goes and flies off, right? He's in this... Um, He's been flying for hour after weary hour, right? Must be Tierra del Fuego, right? He gets there, and Tanya's somehow there. But at the same time, the X-Men have been tracking him, and Carl falls to his death, right? And so where we last left, this is, they say, the most successful issue of the run with the Kazar cover, right? And then the Paradons are here, and um, they go into the Savage Land, right? Then Angel's just falling to his death when he's going here. And so the same as we saw with um, Carl, but um, we have um, Angel coming out of it. And this one of the best bits, where Angel turns to Alice and Lorna saying it's X-Men business, that they're not full-fledged X-Men yet. And then he comes, they talk about, Angel gets his information from his father. And then the X-Men are searching for Carl's body, right? So Angel's trying to follow. Now he's falling to his death, right? Now this is one of the other things to remember. He ultimately should have been squashed. But the fact that his ability to fly does kind of give him some more endurance, right? Which no one ever thinks to use, I think, except for Burn. Right? And then we have Talk of the Creator. Right? And Amphibious. And they say, he's dead. <laughs> then the X-Men are having some prehistoric fun. Right? I think more comics just should be done like this. Giving you a mood of what's going on here. Rather than just coloring everything normally, right? Then Kazar shows up. He's not he's not happy with the X-Men. This is one of the classic. If you ever want to backhand someone, that's the shot right there. And he's somehow as tough as the beast. And then of course we have Zabu, which beast should be able to handle. But we have all these mutates that are coming out, you know, but, you know. Kazza's making short work of them, but, um, what is it? Is that, that's not, um. And then, seeing this all go down, even though Kazza, Kazza was terrible to them, the X-Men go and attack, right? So the creator has Angel. And he sees a, a, a spark of life, which no one else could do. And this is, I mean, this is the, everyone should know what this story is about, right? And they, uh, he lives again. Angel is a cool suit at the same time, right? And he talks about Kazar, but then he says the other X-Men, he already knows who, who the X-Men is. And it sounds like, like um, they were enemies. You know, he has vital work going on. But Angel, of course, says, hey. I'll, even, I'll help you even against the X-Men, right? Because he saved his life, right? And um, you have the classic game, um, Jane Grey getting uh, attacked by uh, this, um, this monster, right? You have this whistle that's 
closing this and then I think here uh, Neil wrote write pretty Roy and Roy decided to keep it a silent sequence and that stops this monster right if you're like a Stone Age Professor X right and here's all the one you got Gaza we got Amphibious Barbarius Lupo and Brainchild right and Piper is missing so Angel goes off and then we had the classic as I mentioned before my whole thing that perhaps the clothes do make the man and it's like wow right this is another fun cover right so now he's got Angel going after the X-Men and his Magneto helmet is sitting right here right Angel comes over there and then of course Kazar of course See, it always attacks first, and Angel's telling him to stop. And then he explains that um, the creator saved Angel's life. But then the mutates come, and they're starting to fight. So the X-Men join the battle. I say <laughs> the man bird is the viper, and then the X-Men... Start joining the free against the mutates. Angel feels, uh, I kind of blew it here. So I'm going to go out and die fighting against the creator. And then once you realize, this is the classic thing that Magneto tried to do in the next 10 issues of, um, the, of the X-Men book. Of creating mutants on his own. And this, he finally got to do it. So it's a culmination of what we've seen in the, the Lee Kirby run, right? When he fell to his death, he actually made his way to the, the, um, the Savage Land. But Angel, of course, is enthralled by something else, right? So they make short work of the mutates. They stop the um, Lupo again with, these, with the wolves. They will stop them with Zabu also, right? The Cyclops is breaking in there. They will take all these creatures out. But then they find Magneto there. And got Angel like in this thrall. But then we have Lorelai, right? She stops all the men, but Jean is still there, right? So Jean is trying to destroy all the stuff. Magneto's power is diminished, but he's still got guns. Alright. He's able to fly with this, this wacky contraption. And then, instead of that, he's like, he says, he says, here, um, see my devices on my arm drain most of my own mag, mag most of my own magnetism. Thus, I'm forced to dispose of you by more conventional means. You can try Magneto, and then she utilizes Scott's power to destroy everything and <laughs> then he tried to use his power and then he said nothing left to do but die and it fell and said like, we got to get out of here and then the mutates slowly start to turn back to normal and then that would set them apart from other men he said um wouldn't be happier to lose who could be happier to lose vast powers which would set them apart from other men did you say who Offhand, Kazar, 
I can think of at least five people without even trying. The initials are Jungleman and the initials are the X-Men. Right? So this covers the redo. Oh, wow. Got to, I'm going to round this one out. And this one is, um, dialogue is by Danny O'Neill. Because, um, um, Roy says that, um, that, um, Neil wanted to plot this one on his own. So he said, okay, he had an idea to bring back Professor Xavier, right? And then um, um, Roy felt pulled out of the story, so he gave it to someone else to script and thinking this would work out because they have Danny O'Neill doing the scripting. Neil was not happy with that, right? Because he wanted to be him and um, Roy for the entire thing, right? So Havoc is taking charge and 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 um, forcing the X-Men and Lorna's help forcing the X-Men to come in. Right? And they're looking at these nightmare creatures. And it's like too much information for them to actually know. But then they have big reveal that Gene also knew that Xavier is still alive, right? And he had to keep a secret that um, Xavier needed to leave and Chameleon said he will change this. This is Changeling. Changeling said he would cover for um, cover for Xavier because he was dying and he died before Xavier got back. And um, next thing you know, he's like, but I was going to train. To train you like I never did before, right? So he's training X-Men to get better and better. And then he's going to utilize their powers so they could um, stop this creature, right? So stop this alien race from coming to attack the um, attack the X-Men. Attack the world, sorry. Attack the world, right? So we got these cool, wacky-looking aliens... And the X-Men take on them. But at the same time, Xavier's using the will of everybody out there at once, right? To push these guys back, to force them to leave. And then at the same time, utilizing all the X-Men at once to, um, to repel those aliens, right? So we're coming to the tail end of this. You see the every common man. This is the cool part of having the regular folk help out, right? Having some human in this story and it pushes them back and it forces them back away and Xavier falls out, right? Next is your hope, which you don't have in here, but you have the original cover for um, 56 here. The unused ones that Martin Goodwin rejected to do a new cover. We have some black and white pages here. We got some color guides from um, Tom Palmer that he did. It's very cool.
right? And then, oh my goodness, we do have it. This is where I saw it last. I, when I look at this, they should have, <laughs> wouldn't have been cooler to have, um, this, there's too many characters in the Secret Wars for the for a sec to do it justice. But look at this, how well he did, how he did um, the originals justice. Look at this dynamic. Look at this wide shot that he did, right? And then we got another cool wide shot and an interesting design for um, for Saron, right? And then the last shot of the um, of the Savage Land, right? And then we got the cover I mentioned, the more recent cover that um, that Neil Adams did for the X Men, right? Do we have any other prizes in here left? We have the precursor stuff that um, that um, Mike Zek did. We have it kind of done the right way. Close to it, but it's a little computer color and it should have been jet black, but close enough. Right? I think they said it was possibly going to be blue. Right? So there we go. We somehow got through this issue. I don't have a picture of Neil, right, um, Roy right here, but there we go. And then to get some more information on it, you have this book, as I said, you have, um, Alter Ego, that, um, this volume two, issue four, you got comic book profiles. It's been reported, uh, you know, many times over the century, oh, but not, yeah, not the century, but in the last, what was it? I guess since it was the 60s, this was the 70s when this came out. It's been talked about since then, so that's a good, I don't know, like um, like 60 years. <laughs> so yeah, you got some, there's a lot of, it's been talked about many times um, and influenced many people. Spinner Rack out.